Hello, you're listening to Fatalists, a podcast focusing on the Showcase Network's dynamic series Lost Girl, now also airing on the Sci-Fi Network. My name is Dave, and I'm joined by my co-host Wayne. And Wayne, man, how you doing? I'm doing great. Fantastic. Uh, yeah, here so we are, episode two already. Awesome. So what's been up? Not much, really. Uh, you know, like... Uh, Take a lot of notes on Lost Girl, watching some X-Files, which I hadn't done in like 20 years as I graduated from college, so it's cool. Good week. Yeah. All How right, I, I finished Dollhouse, finally, and uh, for the second time, and, and awesome as usual, and we maybe we'll talk about that uh, some other time, And but watched one of the all-time sci-fi classics uh, earlier this evening, oh, yeah? Johnny Mnemonic with nice. uh, Keanu Reeves, perhaps the finest actor of our generation. Without question. All right, so... Uh, well, I forgot, also forgot to mention, you're right, that just reminded me, I, I rewatched Firefly for about the 18th time, but uh, that was great. I mean, that is like, that show, it's just timeless, you know? Like, I, how many times I've seen it, and every time I go back, it's like watching it for the first time. It's, well, well, they ran a marathon yesterday, right, on sci-fi? You know, I, I, I had been watching it earlier. I was at my mom's place, and I saw that it, it was on, and I was like, hey, wow, sci-fi's run the marathon. Like, yeah, they do that every now and then, they, uh, as if it might make up or past injustices, but it, it just doesn't. It just doesn't. Yep. So, All right, so what we have on tap tonight, we'll do a little bit of news and notes, then we'll jump right into the Season 1, Episode 1 pilot and give you our analysis, our views. Uh, we'll take a look at the X-Files episode that we assigned for homework last week and uh, talk a little bit about that, and then we'll give you our Top 10 Sci-Fi Heroines list. So uh, why don't we get started right with the news and notes. And as uh, we mentioned last week, and I think everybody knows that uh, the show's been renewed for season three, Sci-Fi signed up for it. And the, the one change is that uh, it's going to be only 13 episodes uh, down from 22. And, you know, that seems to be uh, Sanctuary had that issue uh, where they were real comfortable at 13. Yeah. But uh, so, you know, I, I think in, in the end for the genre shows, 13 is probably a better number. But, uh, you know, what do I, mean, I know? Yeah, I mean, that's what the, the Brits go with, with their pretty much all, you know, they run two, like, six episode seasons. Like, they're actually kind of like half seasons, you know. Um, and it just seems like a really good formula. I mean, Grant, I love it. I love the 24 episode, 22, 24 episode season but uh you know really i think that uh 13 episode is nice and compact and you can work with it and you can you can run a, a single storyline through it and uh, not with little distraction you know well as long as the showrunners of the various shows make sure they stagger our shows for us then uh you know we've always got something good to watch yeah exactly yeah. we need to maybe contact some of these people and tell them how they should uh you know schedule them so to better suit my schedule and i'm sure they'll listen so, um, well, one uh, question, I, and I, I'm, I don't know if I'm throwing this at you, but Lost Girl will be without a key ingredient from the first two seasons. Michelle Lavretta is no longer with the show. Did you see that? I, I did, uh, and, and I guess we at this point we don't know. Uh, you know, she's stepping down as showrunner, and, and uh, one of the writers, uh, Emily Andres, is going to take over as the showrunner. Uh, you know, I, I almost find it hard to believe she won't have any involvement, but I guess we'll see. Yeah, it's, I've been trying to find like some, you know, some kind of why this is happening and everything. I mean, it sounds like the show's in good hands and everything, but that's still kind of a shocking type thing, though. Right. Uh, we have a new character, which uh, I don't want to spoil too much, but we'll, we will say uh, Rachel Scarston uh, 
who appeared in Flashpoint and Birds of Prey. Did you watch Birds of Prey? I have not. Well, I, I didn't know anything about it. And again, it's just like it, it, it never fails. I told you I was watching Johnny Mnemonic and, uh, you know, it, it's it's I don't know. A guilty pleasure, uh, but one of my, you know, I really like Dina Meyer, and I don't know if you know who she is. Uh, she appeared in, uh, uh, oh gosh, not the the Heinlein movie, uh, Starship Troopers, Ooh. and uh, you know, that another was a rough one, another rough one. But uh, she, <laughs> I, I, I really like her. I don't know if you remember her. She's the one with the curly hair and uh, not you know, one, one of the soldiers. But uh, was it was anyone in that besides Denise Richards? Uh, well, she was Denise Richards, you know, she, she, uh, like, they like the same guy. Uh, well, Doogie Howser, uh, uh, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm looking through, you know, IMDB and of course, Dina Meyer was in Birds of Prey. Birds of Prey just, you know, re- real quickly is Gotham City after Batman leaves. Oh. Okay, so they kind of take over. So it's got That's that cool. kind of. That's a show. How did I miss this? How did yeah. I know about well, this? Well, thirteen episodes, Wayne. Remember your two-year rule. That's that's correct. What I I am genuinely shocked right now. So, <laughs> all right. Well, anyway. So, uh, and then we do we do know filming began for uh, Lost Girl. To get back to our main point here in in uh, April. So uh, you know, I guess they'll be wrapping up not too long. And then finally, uh, the crew is. Sub- Scheduled to appear at 2012 Comic Con, and, and uh, at least as far as we know, Anna Silk, Chris Holden Reed, Cassini Solo, and executive producer Jay Firestein will be there for the panel. And they're set to go on Saturday, July 14th at 8:15. So, uh, you know, if history serves us, uh, you know, the next day or so, uh, I'm sure clips from it will show up on YouTube. Cool. So, that's it for news and notes, and Wayne. Why don't we jump into uh, episode one, the pilot? Uh, first thoughts. Well, you know, as a pilot, you know, your first goal here is not really so much story as you're really just kind of introducing the characters. Uh, you want people, you want these characters to be compelling because that's really that's the thing that's going to drive a television show. So the first thing is you got to have people like who are watching say, "Hey, wow!" And of course, when you have someone who looks like Anna Silk. There is a, you know, first and foremost, that's a very attention-getting type device. But also, I thought, you know, really just, it was, I thought it was a really good job of getting you, bringing you into the story right away. You know, they started off uh, kind of cliche, and Lost Girl is not afraid to embrace cliche. That's one thing about it. And it's not, there's sometimes, I think it's a little kind of hokey. But sometimes I think it just, it, it helps, you know, like you have stereotypes in literature, you use them because you don't want to spend the time to develop this character. You say, oh, it's a jock. Fine. I know that. So when we start off in a bar with a kind of sleazy guy with a Southern accent, nothing against Southerners, just that's what he was, you know, he said he's from Omaha, by the way. That's kind of South. It's further <laughs> South than we are. Um, you know, so you're, you're like, you know, oh, okay, I've seen this scene. This guy's a creep. He's going to try something. At first, you think he's going to try it on the pretty bartender, uh, but then she shuts him down, and then he tries it on the uh, the pickpocketing hooligan, and uh, but we knew it was coming. So it starts off very cliche, but and then all of a sudden, you know, Bo sucks his face dry, <laughs> and that is where we know, hey, we are no longer in cliche land. This is this is something else. This is something pretty new and pretty cool. 
Right. And we're, and we're immediately introduced to a character w- w- that already we've got this moral gray area where it seems like she knew what she was doing with that guy. She knew what the outcome was going to be. Absolutely. No okay. question about it. And why does she do it? To save this young girl. Okay. Right. And that's the thing. Even at this point where she doesn't know who she is or what she is or anything like that, she still has a strong sense of justice, you know, and she knows what's going on. I mean, she Kenzie is the really the street smart one. We said that in our previous episode. But in this case, Kenzie really has her guard down. Uh, probably more worried about picking pockets and getting money. Bo knows what's going on. And she saves Kenzie because she follows them and everything because she knows she knows the score. She's seen this guy before. Right. Hey, what about me? Throws her over, throws her over the shoulder. And, uh, you know, so, yeah, I mean, I, I thought the opening scene was great just to, to set, uh, you know, set the tone. And, and again, like you said, it's really it's hard to take your eyes off the screen uh, anytime Anna Silk is on there. And, you know, I mean, the fact that she's an awesome actress just, uh, you know, so I think, you know, the, the, the next thing that gets my attention is uh, – you know, then we see the detectives on the scene investigating, you know, the dead body in the elevator. And, you know, I mean, uh, fine. OK, police procedural. Again, OK, it looks Be- like reeks of cliche at first sight. Right. Because and, and just uh, for the listeners, I mean, if you didn't hear the the our introductory podcast, I mean, we, we've seen it before. This was, you know, certainly a second or third viewing. But we want to try to approach it, you know, as if we were seeing and, and I think both of us trying to remember what what we were thinking the first time we saw this episode and you know i didn't know really what to expect so okay detectives yeah, well i'm still you're pretty much still in wtf mode after seeing this girl just completely you know her eyes turn blue i actually made up a word for it if i can find my notes i have come back uh when she goes her, her, her succubies Right. I, thought was, I don't know if any of that term's been done before, but you know, when you get the blue eyes, I'm calling the succubies. We'll see how that works out. <laughs> I like it. Uh, and, uh, but so, you know, so you know, they were like, "Whoa, what the?" And then it goes back to, "Well, the cops are like, well, hey, what do we got here?" And you know, and then they always you know send the guy out for coffee or whatever. You know, the guy in the uniform, they always like kind of beating around and everything. So you're like, and, and, but then right. we, but then we learn why they wanted to get rid of him. Exactly. The, you know, uh, um, Dyson goes, "Well, we don't know his name, Dyson." Yet, but the, the the one cop says. You know, you know, I can smell human on him. It's like, right. wait, what? What did he just say? Like, right. and, and, and that the killer wasn't on our side. Right. Okay. Yeah, our yeah. side. Well, yeah, I guess not. You're the, you know, so, so already they're throwing this stuff out. Uh, you know, they find a piece of evidence in the, in the, you know, with the brunette hair and, mm-hmm. and, uh, it's like, okay, so uh, they're weird cops. Okay. Yeah. That, that, well, uh, I think that's you know, part of the, the charm of the show is that, you know, again, as I said before, they take these, these conventions and they, they toy with them. You know, they don't mock them, but they, they use like pl- police procedural here and they just turn it on its, not turn it on its ear, but turn it maybe on its side a little bit, you know, and put with that fey element. But then it gives us something we're familiar with and we're comfortable with, but also then adds in that supernatural, fantastic element that's really cool. Right. I mean, we're familiar with dirty cops, right? I mean, right. that, you know, so, so that's, uh, that's not something that, that would be unusual. But, of course, that's not what uh, th- this seems to be. Um, you know, a lot of I, – I just think one of the things I love about the show is that, you know, while the, you know, 90 percent of it is, is you know, serious, 
you know, some of the lines are just are just great. And, uh, you know, that, uh, you know, when Kenzie wakes up and of course, at this point, no, I guess maybe we do know her name's Kenzie. Uh, she was blonde when she uh, yeah. was in the bar and then she wakes up with black hair. Um, yeah, I remember the first time I saw him, like, wait a second, that girl was blonde. I think I kind of liked her better as a blonde, but, you know, but she looks cooler with uh, the black hair and the the um, the eyeliner and all that. All right. But, uh, you know, Bo denies, you know, killing that guy. And she said, no, 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 I got it on my cell phone. And, and, uh, uh, and, and you know, again, the line that I, you know, I, I really liked was where she tells Bo, if you were normal, I could be dead. Yeah, well, I got the line actually right before that I wrote down where it says, normal people don't help out strangers. Oh, right. You know? Like right. if you were normal, you would just left me. You wouldn't have bothered, you know. I think that's that really strikes kind of the core is Bo's character there. Yeah. And, and you know, just, you know, I mean, what do we know about Bo at this point? I mean, so so we know that, uh, okay, we, you know, we know when faced with, uh, you know, a moral situation, uh, you know, I guess she picked the uh, the lesser of two evils, right? I mean, she helps the girl, even though it's going to mean killing, uh, you know, the guy that, you know, instigates this. Um, you know, we see her, you know, I mean, look at the place she lives. I mean, looks like a crack house or something. I mean, uh, you know, and then we immediately see her, you know, pull out of the wall, you know, a bag full of IDs. So, you know, we know Kenzie is some sort of a scam artist, pickpocket at least. Uh, so we don't know about uh, Bo. Is that what she's going to turn out to be? Uh, and then she throws them into the fire and burns them. So you right. know, well, she's, she's ta- you know she's taking out all her clothes and everything as well. So it's, you know clearly she lives a transient life. We know she's she's bolting that she she's got something in her past and she needs that she's running from and here she's running again. It's you know pretty clear. Um, she you know. But she remembers to bring a lot of her black bras. It seems that was important for her to put in the bag. Yes, yes. Now the uh, you know they decide. Okay, well, well we, you know we need to sit down and talk. So uh, of course you know in, in any TV show you talk over a drink, right? And their drink of choice is of course the milkshake. Milkshakes, yes. Uh, but you know I, again, I I I love the you know and and this is really you know where where we're kind of setting up Kenzie's character uh, that clearly she's not going anywhere. You know, despite what she's seen already, she's she's not going anywhere. But uh, you know, the, she she writes the note on the on the napkin, and uh, I forget exactly how she introduces it. But you know, will you answer if I ask you a question? Will you answer it? And she passes it over with you know, the little two. I'm an alien, all right, or I am a demon. <laughs> Check one. <laughs> and, the old, and do you the remember, old middle school. Will you right. go with me? But yes, do you remember what Bo no. says? She says, I don't know what I am. Right. And, and, and that kind of just crystallizes what this whole first episode is about, which is this character doesn't know who she is. You know, so that whole, uh, you know, you talked about literary themes before, that whole search for identity. You know, search who, for self. Who am I? And, in, and you know, what's my role in uh, society? Yeah, which so. is huge because you know it's funny because my 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 kids who my older t- sons who were asking me about this, and they're like, so dad, what's the lost girl about and everything? So I'm trying to tell them and everything, and, and I say basically it's about you know someone trying to find out who she is, and they're just by my talking about, it, they're like fascinated. Now they want to see the show, but unfortunately that can't happen. 
Well, they can see the sci-fi version, just yeah, not yes, the... maybe. Uh, I'm not even sure. I haven't seen the sci-fi version, so I wouldn't so. even know, like, how watered down it is. Okay. It's got... I, I didn't realize how much, like, cursing was in this first episode. Like, yeah. I, I don't know if I, that really hit me the first time around, but as I'm watching it this time, I was like, whoa, like, yeah. man, Canadian television is cool. Yeah. So, all right. So, anyway, so we've got them there, um, and then... Uh, Shifts to a different bar. Oh, but before we shift, I okay. came up with another patented term. Okay. Because Bo uh, doesn't have any money, and so the waitress comes over, and so Bo does the the sucky touch. Ah, I the like it. Sucky touch, <laughs> where she you know does a little rubs the wrist and says, oh, you know, like it's almost like a Jedi mind trick. Like uh, we don't have to pay for these milkshakes. Oh, you don't have to pay for these milkshakes. Just we'll have uh, to post these on the website. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So all right. So we see we. Cut back to the uh, two cops that we were introduced to back at the crime scene, and uh, they're in a different bar. Right. And in the bar, know, cops and bar again. That cliche kind of, but well, well, they weren't at though, a, right? They weren't at Dunkin' Donuts, right? Exactly. So, well, look at the Irish pub. You know, it's but, Canada. There's a lot of Irish in Canada. So, but what one of them says then? It's beginning. Then the bartender says, "Okay, what's meant to be will be. We can't fight fate." Yeah, you know, like that you can't like, fight fate. And then Dyson me, says, well, you can. Meanwhile, foresh the word foreshadowing is flashing across the screen. Yeah, um, <laughs> big red lights. But, you know, but again, you know, you mentioned earlier in, in the podcast about the use of cliches. And, and I think we both agree it's all how you handle the cliches. And, you know, I mean, again, the first episodes, I, I guess I have a difficult time uh, listening to other critics uh criticize you know in a in a negative way pilot episodes because um, to a certain extent well what do you expect i mean you've got a you know you've got 40 i think in this case 44 minutes to you know lay out everything and there's quite a bit to lay out in this show yeah this show that's this show is very very ambitious for a pilot because you know normally your pilots are pretty tame kind of just it's all character development, you know, because they just want you to be one with these characters and get into them and, and like these people. So you'll come back for episode two, which usually why the first episodes usually, quite frankly, suck and almost across the board every show. You know, like when I started watching Farscape, I watched the first episode, I came back. I'm like, you got to be kidding me, man. This show sucks. There's Muppets in it. I don't like it and everything. But then, you know, but then you see. You got even that. I would even give like almost the whole first season. That's why it's so frustrating when a show gets canceled in its first season, or even after just like five or six episodes. Because so many shows, you watch so many excellent shows, and I'm maybe not Lost. Lost might be the one show that is you know kind of cuts the norm, but almost other ones, it takes a while. It takes a while for the show to kind of get its bearings, to to get its rhythm and its tempo, and to for you not only just to enjoy these characters, but now. What's this show going to be like? And it could take a while. You know, for Farscape, I think it's almost that, almost that whole first season. But by the end of the fourth season, I'm like, this is one of the best shows I've ever seen. It is an awesome show. Yeah. So, Well, even like you mentioned Lost. I mean, you, you have like, I mean, what, they have like 14 major characters. And, right. and you know, you, they, I think they did one flashback per episode. So, you know, yet people had to be patient, and, and 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 again, that's something that I just stress with people. It's like you just have to be patient. I mean, you know, let things develop. Now, you know, I mean, certainly there was an air of supernatural to Lost r r from the first episode on. So, um, well, 
we we next get introduced, you know, there or the, or the what happens. The, the the thing that I want to talk about next is we're introduced to two characters that, again, what? Okay, apparently the Ash demands an audience of Bo. Okay, so the Ash is that some sort of nickname? I mean, we don't know. Uh, and then yeah, we find like a out real pretentious th- nickname too, like right, the Ash. So, like really. So they take her to the Ash, and we find out that. Along with the ash is the Morrigan. Yeah. Which then we find out they are... Light and dark fae. Light and dark fae, right? And that, uh, you know, the ash is in uh, the leader of the light fae, Morrigan, uh, leader of the dark fae. Uh, which then begs the question, as, as I was explaining this to my son today, they're like, well, does that mean the light is good and the dark is bad? And I'm like, well, you know, not really. It's not that clear cut. And, uh, you know, we probably assume that at first. I mean, we just say, well, the light fade must be the good guys, the dark fade the bad guys. But even at first, they kind of established that, you know, the light phase are, there's some real D-bags on, on the light phase side. And, and actually, she gets some pretty good advice from the Morgan. You know, some pretty solid practical advice from her. So, you know, it's like not so easily to define. Right. I mean, they're both putting demands on her. I mean, they're both telling her, you have to choose. Right. The only difference is the Morgan does want to kill her. I'll put that out there as how the Dark Fae roll, though. That's just how they roll. Right. Um, We're introduced to, uh, well, you know, know, we've already got one human uh, major character that, uh, you know, is involved. And we meet our second one in uh, Dr. Lauren. Best examination ever. Yes. Well... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and and you know the big scene here and 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 again uh I, i'm sure yeah you know i deliberately try to avoid reading uh criticisms of you know an episode that we're going to talk about and, and you know I, this would be one of these scenes that i i can see critics criticizing it um uh, but i mean basically it's there because uh, she's got to lay things out about you know the whole fay community and and basically what's out there and you know you know she says what kind of fay am i and that's where we get the explanation and uh and then also we see the uh you know the the sparks flying between uh dr lauren and Bo right away and that's kind of one thing that they obviously are you know like one thing about Bo's sexuality is you know it's it's it it transcends, I guess, what we would call hetero-homosexual relationships. You know, she, um, she'll she be involved in both types. Based, on what, based on what we know now. What, right, right. Spoiler but, right, alert. All right, not too many spoilers. But, okay. you know, um, that her attraction to Lauren is a human attraction. It, it doesn't matter whether Lauren is a guy or a girl or whatever. It's, they, um, they touch at a kind of, I guess, maybe a deeper level, I guess we could say, you know, that uh, right away, Bo appreciates Lauren as a human being, and it's not whether she's a guy or a girl and everything. And I think that's probably one of the things we're going to see through the show is that, you know, kind of, you know, get over it as far as sexuality goes. Right. You know? Get over your hangups and right. accept that two people can love each other. Right. And, you know, again, to a certain extent, uh, the whole concept of choices is a big part of this. And, and uh, you know, we see the Ash and the, the Morgan talking, and it's like, no, no, no. She's, we we got to make her choose because she's making us look bad. Okay. And uh, then it, you know, cuts back and, and Bo gets the explanation about light, dark, succubus, this, you know. Um, the important thing is that Lauren tells her, you know, you can control this. You know, you can 
control it, which is right. kind of goes in line with a, a, a line that uh, that uh, uh, Kenzie said earlier. You know, learn to enjoy your shit already. You know, right. like that. Uh, you know, that Bo has to kind of stop running and start dealing with herself. Right. And, and but you know, I mean, this is now. You know, they're offering her. Uh, you know, both sides of the, we're offering you a family, you know, we're offering you and, and, and what she's really never known. Like you just said, she's never really known what she is. Uh, she's never been taught how to control it, which Lauren tells her, you know, we, we can teach you how to control it. You know, if you had been with us, you'd already know how to control right. it. Um, which she's just floored by. She's like, really? Because every time I use my power, the other person dies. Right. You know, and just and when you think about that, you think. Oh my! You know, what has her life been like? Now we see. Now we understand the big pile of IDs. Right. Why she, the minute something goes wrong, she gets her stuff together and leaves. You know, just like every time she's kissed a person, every time she's slept with a person, um, anytime she's been hungry, someone's died and she's had to move on. Right. Right. And and at this point, you know, uh, first episode, it, it, it doesn't seem like that's something she's comfortable with. You know, yeah. so that in terms of, you know, uh, her character and, and I mean her character in, in terms of, uh, you know, morality that, uh, you know, while obviously she's killing and I'm making little quote signs with my fingers here while she's killing these people, you know, it's not she doesn't want to do it. It's almost like she has to do it, doesn't yeah, know how to control I think it. it. In a lot of ways, she's horrified by having yes. to do it and everything. But it also kind of begs the question, though, too. I mean, like, really, where's the FBI? I don't know what the Canadian version of the FBI is, but, you know, like, here's bodies dropping all over the northern hemisphere, uh, all killed by having their faces sucked off. Did no one notice the pattern? Did anyone else say, wait, we might have a serial killer here? You well, know? we don't but, know how often she... Does this and and you know uh, I mean a, a, again at this point does she uh, does she you know get together with men indiscriminately just for you know normal sexual urges or is she doing it when she has to you know in terms of feeding so we don't really know that yet um, but that again that begs the question uh, you know it, it, does no any no does no one notice the pattern and apparently not yeah apparently not but that's you know. That's, uh, you know, we have to kind of accept that, you know, okay. what Coleridge called that, the uh, a willing suspension disbelief. Okay. Yeah. And um, I, I willingly suspended, but as soon as the show's over, I uh, unsuspended and my disbelief kicks in again. And I criticize things unjustly. <laughs> well, that's okay. <laughs> All right. So anyway, so we're, you know, along with the, uh, the choice motif, uh, uh, yeah, we'll give you a choice. You know, come with us to the glass factory and and uh, fight, or you know, and then make a choice, or you know, well, they're taking her to test her, right? I guess that what they want to do right. is see if she's the real deal. Yeah, and what kind of seriously, what kind of test is this? You know, like do all Faye have to go through? How are there so many Faye if this is their test? Well, they got to fight a huge, massive guy, and then the the uh, the pain taker, or whatever, man. Well, I mean, I guess again. I, Perhaps that uh, most Fey grow up in the Fey world, and so that most Fey grow up aligned to one side or another. You know, I guess whatever your parents were. I mean, I guess uh, you know, do uh, dark Fey kids rebel against their parents and 
decide they want to go uh, to the light. But uh, so they take her to the now, glass. See, now factory. you're pushing the uh, the spoiler button there. Watch out there, Mister Dave. Oh, good point. All right. <laughs> All right. So anyway, so we see uh, they get to the glass factory and, and uh, we see Dyson, uh, you know, talking to Bo about. Uh, exactly what's going to happen to her and that she's going to face, you know, two opponents that he calls under Faye uh, that don't really, they don't really fit anywhere into the Faye world. And the first guy, you know, looks like this huge Conan like, and I don't mean Master Blaster. And I don't mean Conan O'Brien. Exactly. Except with a little guy on top of him. He's just huge. Um, And she says, well, what do you think my chances are? I wouldn't bet on you. Uh, but then what he does, if you recall, then he kisses her. Right. You know. Well, he tells her to kiss him. Like, you need to kiss me. This is for your own good. You right. know, how many times have I tried that? And it just never worked out. I guess I need to look like Chris Holden Reed. But, you know, it worked for him. So any other advice? D- don't get dead. Don't get dead. <laughs> so, And it turns into, you mentioned Master Blaster. And it almost turns into one of these... Uh, you know, Thunderdome kind of scenes with uh, the crowd around up high and, uh, you know, the fight begins. Um, you know, meanwhile, all along, uh, you know, the little human who won't say quit uh, is out there trying to track down her friend. And, you know, we left off the part about her calling her uh, cousin to, you know, have his... Right, right, to you know, uh, track down... Um, track down Dyson's the plates or whatever. Plates. yeah, yeah. So, you know, we really see, you know, the, 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 that, you know, Kenzie's, you know, at least at this point is, you know, committed to helping out this friend that helped her. And she's very resourceful as well. Right. And, and she knows, I mean, I, 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 I was going to say she knows what she's getting into and she does on one tiny level. We, I think it's fair to say she really has no idea what she's really getting into. You uh, know? It's fair to say at this point. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you know, once you see Bo in the ring with this guy, you know, I'm, um, I remember thinking first, it's like, you know, how is she going to talk her way out of this? Because, um, you know, I, I just don't see any other way around it. You know, yeah, I, well, I, because I, you say, well, I mean, let's, let's face it. I and mean, we say, well, She's a, a female. That dude is a dude. He's huge. He's massive. She's, you know, I mean, she looks like she's in shape, but, she, you know, I mean, come on. This guy is, is, is massive. He's got so Thor's hammer, really for God's sake. What's that? He's got Thor's hammer or whatever. Exactly, right, right. Exactly. He's got Thor's hammer, you know, like two of them, right? Right. And, and so it's like there's just, you know, how, how on earth. And, you know, she, she dispatches him, you know, without, she doesn't need trickery. She just. Yeah, she just kicks his ass. Well, you know, and I think any concerns we have for her safety uh, and, and, and any concerns we have for her commitment to this test, I mean, she just takes and she just cuts his throat and, and that's that. Um, but the and, and, and then I guess the next thing that kind of happens kind of, again, throws you for a loop that she, suddenly she sees herself in this, you know, peaceful wooded area. And an right, old well, man. First, you see the hand coming up over her shoulder. You're just like, ah, oh, right, you know, right. It's like that kind of that thriller horror right. movie type moment. Um, but yeah, and, and before that, actually, you know, there, there's that moment when the guy is down. He's obviously out because he, she's like sliced the back of his legs. Like he's down. He's not getting up. And there's this moment we say, oh, okay. Well, here's where the moral hero um, throws the way and say, I will not kill him for your sport. You know, or anything like that. Kind of like, uh, you know. 
uh, Maximus in Gladiator, you know, like, are you not amused? You know, we expect something like that. And uh, nope, she walks over to the guy and just slits his throat, doesn't even think twice about it. So mm-hmm. she is, you know, she is not your average hero. She's her heroine. You know, she's, she, she's not a normal hero. She does not, she's not going to do what is expected or what we expect. Right. right. And, and I think for a pilot episode where they're, where we're being introduced to these characters, you know, it's it's setting the stage for this, you know, extremely complex uh, woman. Yeah, so, I, I mean, I was shocked. I was I mean, here. This is not the first time I've seen it, but I just I'd forgotten about that, and I was shocked. I was like, oh my god! Like I was totally expecting her just to throw down the knives because I knew she defied him. I knew she said, "I'm not going to choose either side." And I, I forgot about the pain eater and all that. So I'm like, well, here's the defiance. She's going to throw down and I say, I'm not going to kill him. You say it's to the death, but bite me. But no, she walks over and slits his throat. I'm like, whoa. You know, it's like, oh, that's right. Oh, my God. It was completely shocking. Yeah. I think I would put in my vote as the most shocking thing in it. So, Maybe. Well, that, that was pretty shocking. I, I got to tell you. And. You know, but perhaps what happens after, you know, after the the scene with the pain eater who come that comes next, and and then she's told, you know, fairly in fairly short order that she's passed the test and may choose her side. Uh, I I didn't figure she was going to choose neither, and then says that I choose humans, you know, because I, I think she sees, you know. That here's this, you know, person that has really no stake in anything because it's pretty clear, you know, to certainly to us, the viewer and to Bo that, you know, these two sides, they have a big stake in me. I don't know why. I don't know what, but I choose humans. I choose the one that, you know, doesn't have a stake in anything. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I think it's just her. It's almost like she's got this contrary nature. She's just like, you know, she... She she keeps to herself. She doesn't want to, you know. I don't. I don't. I'm not sure what's over there, so I'm going to stick with what I've got. And I've, my whole life, I've kind of relied on myself, so I'm going to stick with that. You know. Right. So she says, "I choose humans," but really, she's saying, "I, I choose myself." Really. Okay. I think I'm going to. I've I've gotten this far on my own will, on my own wits. I think I'll stick with that rather than getting into. I don't really know much about either of these sides, and I certainly don't haven't seen anything that attracts me to either of them. Well, what I do know is that you both handcuffed me, forced right. me to the glass factory, and forced me to fight this big giant guy. So I do know that about you too. So yeah, like you said. Well, and it's and it's Kenzie who saves her, right? When the pain eater, which is yeah, I, I don't know. I I'm not a big fan of these internal struggle type things where you know the the person has to conquer her own inner demons, you know, and you have whatever that whole pain eater thing. I was just like whatever, right. but. There's Drink that, you know, Kenzie, sleep. Kenzie yelling out to her that saves her. It's the human yelling out to her that, that brings her back and, and helps her conquer the pain eater. Right. The, the human that throws herself into, you know, this bizarre situation with, you know, no regard for her own safety. So, you know, again, I, I think that, you know, the, the two major characters were introduced here, uh, you, know, uh, you know, acquit themselves really well. So anyway, the last scene uh, in the episode, we're back to the, uh, you know, that's that bartender from the second bar and uh, talking to the two leaders, the Ash and the Morrigan, that somebody's kept Bo hidden. So for all this time, so you shouldn't be too hasty in deciding what you're going to do with her. 
And, uh, you know, as a kind of like, da-da, you know, the, the end to the episode, uh, I think it certainly leads, uh, you know, into you know, a lot of possibilities for episode two. Right. Well, and, you know, also he says, you know, well, there might be a time when she needs to be killed. So he doesn't say, don't kill her. He's just saying, don't kill her yet. So right. that's, you know, like, well, this guy, I thought, because, you know, we've already kind of, aligning ourselves with Dyson and Hale and the cops and Bo. We know the light fade. Maybe we kind of lean towards them a little bit more because, let's face it, the Morgan was pushing to kill Bo. Um, so this guy who's buddies with these cops who we like says, well, there might be a time to come when she needs to be killed. We're like, hey, dude, like, I thought you were supposed to be one of the good guys. You know, That's not cool. Yep. So, all right. So anything else you want to say? No, that's that's okay. about it. You know that. Uh, oh, well, just that last scene of Kenzie and Bo kind of leaving together. You know, like and that's that 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 buddy motif that we're going to see throughout the show. And I think that's really, you know, that if you strip away everything else from the show, that is the heart of this show is that relationship with Kenzie and Bo. Right. They're what drive it, and it's not just the banter between them. It's the you know the this this love this strong sisterly love that exists between them that is what you know the the whole show that's is, what will drive the that. show yeah so what's that that's what will drive it yeah what what will drive it what is currently driving it in episode one and probably will continue to do so see this is harder than we thought it was going to be it is I don't think it's like a really a big spoiler though yeah I mean, no we could, could, we're going to talk yeah. about Kenzie and Bo and their relationship you right. know all the time so. All right, so uh, why don't we move on to uh, last week's homework, yep. which was, uh, you know, as we've said, each week Wayne and I are going to throw out one uh, TV show or movie that, you know, may or may not have some relationship or not to uh, Lost Girl, and then we'll talk, you know, just a little bit about it. And, and last week's was uh, an X-Files episode from season three called Avatar, and... Uh, so what'd you think? Had you had you seen it before? You know, what? I'm trying to think of whether I saw it or not. As I was watching, I was trying to go through my own history because I, I started watching the X Files. I was like on board in season one. Um, I even like got up through season two. I know there just got to a point where it was, you know, I had just gotten out of college, and you know, I think wasn't it Friday nights? It was on Friday nights the yeah, first few like years. Friday nights was not. I wasn't watching TV on Friday nights when I'm in my twenties, man. You kidding me? So uh, it just got to a point where I couldn't, you know, really keep up with it and everything. Um, so I, I don't think I'd seen this particular episode, but uh, I, I but very quickly remembered all the characters and everything. So it was kind of cool going back and revisiting it. It was a good show. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I mentioned, I think, in the first episode that uh, there would be a character that most of you know, and that is, of course, uh, Amanda Tapping. Amanda Tapping. You had, to, you had to be, you had to, don't blink, though. <laughs> she wasn't in it very long. She was not in it long. But uh, but the interesting thing here, and, and we're not going to recap this whole episode for you, but, uh, you know, obviously you see why we chose this, because, uh, you know, it, it dealt with a succubus, but... Uh, what this dealt with, and you know, when we did a little bit of reading, that the the more traditional view of what a succubus is, and and that typically the succubus comes to the to the man in his dreams and has sex with him in his dreams, and they're typically not attractive. They're typically almost hag-like. Okay, 
Um, and, and that's sort of what we have here. Uh, the, the, the interesting thing, though, is we don't really learn why. You know, what was the purpose? Okay. Well, what, I think it was, she was, she, I mean, it was his wife, right? I mean, she was protecting him the whole time. That was even from back when he was in Vietnam. Okay. She, she was his protector. Am I, that's, that's right, right? I didn't misread Right, right. He did. That, he, the first time he saw her was when he was in Vietnam. Yeah. Right. Um, um, you know, and I, I thought that was kind of cool because I'm like, well, yeah, that's, that goes along kind of like with, with Bo. I mean, here is not a succubus who is draining a man of his essence to destroy him. This is a benign uh, being that is there to protect and defend, in this case, Skinner. And, and Bo, likewise, is using her power, it's what she does with Kenzie, is she uses her power to protect and defend Kenzie, and then herself. Later. So, so who killed Amanda Tapping? The uh, the bad guys, right? The uh, the the shady proto government type guys, right? Um, Didn't they? Or maybe she just got jealous. Okay. Is that what, is that your read? Well, I can't. I'm, no, I wasn't sure. Yeah, no, I, I don't think it's it's at all yeah. obvious at at first. Yeah. I, you know, when you told me about this, I thought you said that Amanda Tapping was the succubus. Well, so like, and I did tell you that when, yeah. uh, and, and then once I had, you know, I hadn't watched it in probably about six years. Yeah, well, and and so I'm like, okay, well, you know, Dave told me Amanda Tapping's a succubus, so any time now she's going to be back and, and everything, and then she wasn't. She was just, she she was dead for good and everything. Um, so... So then, then I was really confused because you know I, you, you know you're by misleading you, you would throw me for a loop, Dave, completely. And uh, but uh, it's all right. I forgive you though. By the way, all part and, of the plan. Yeah. <laughs> and so the, the whole time, like, then what? What the hell's going on? You know. And, and uh, so then I think, well, maybe this lady in red, this this hag, this succubus-like character, maybe. Uh, she's the one who did it. And then once we realize there's these guys who are out to get Skinner, um, I just then I my final kind of conclusion at the end is I think it was those dudes who don't want to kill Skinner. They just want to you know ruin him. Right. So and that, and, that's at, and at I this point, me. right. And at this point in the show, you know, the conspiracies are, are running rampant and, and you don't know, uh, you know, really who to trust. But the interesting thing, you know, again, the in terms of the X-Files, um, up to this point, Scully and Mulder uh, really see Skinner as an adversary. You know, he, he's really the one that will tell them, hey, no, 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 you're not investigating this case or you're done or, or whatever. And, and yet... Turn in your badge and gun, well, mister. Yeah, you know, I mean, like, pretty much. And, <laughs> yeah. and yet, uh, you know, when, you know, Skinner's thrown into the situation, neither of them... Uh, well, certainly Mulder does not believe at all that that uh, Skinner could have done it. Scully is is of course the the eternal skeptic, the you know the medical doctor, and uh, while she doesn't think he did it, she doesn't see evidence to the contrary. So this really kind of opens up their relationship, even though on Skinner's end, it's like you know uh, he wasn't quite ready to have a group hug yet. Right? No, definitely not. <laughs> so. Uh, all right. So anyway, for uh, next week's uh, homework assignment, we want to yeah, go. This with, is a good uh, one. I've been thinking about this for so much. All right, go ahead and throw it out there. Okay. 
For all you fans out there and non-fans, you're going to enjoy this one. This is South Park Season 3, Episode 3, called The Succubus. Damn you, Lockness! And if we can't have a little bit of fun on this podcast, then, you know... All right, so this is a classic, uh, you know, a classic I, for if you're a South Park fan, then you'll you right now you're right there with me. If you're not, you watch this show, and you're probably going to go on and watch all the rest of South Park. It is right. hilarious, and hopefully come back to our podcast. Yes, and it will, and plenty of succubus related uh, folklore and mythology to talk. All right, so now we're going to take a look at our list of top 10 sci-fi heroines in television. And if you guys were listening last week, uh, you know, the criteria we're using is that, uh, you know, our, our character uh, certainly has to be attractive, but not, uh, but has to be accessible. So uh, somebody like Giselle Bunchen need not apply here. Yeah, Giselle, sorry, baby. Uh, you know, you're not accessible. Frump it up a little bit and we'll talk. Yeah. Uh, Got to have some kind of a weapon. Okay. Got to be whether it's a pulse rifle, a photon, torpedo, shoulder, whatever. Uh, Needs some kind of Freudian symbology at her size. Yes. Um, but uh, it, it's not all about physical fighting. You know, she's got to be uh, smart as well. Right. Has to have some kind of intellectual acumen, has to be knowledgeable. And I would say also a leader as well, right. you know, be able to uh, kind of take the reins when it is necessary. All right. So uh, what we're going to do, what Wayne and I uh, did was we we put together our list for six to ten. We came up with an agreement there. Uh, and then we've got uh, five other names that we're going to kind of argue it out to uh, assign those top spots. All right. So in and and. and for our listeners, we, uh, you know, Bo is not eligible at this point. Okay. So, uh, um, so. Because obviously we'd have to put her at number one and, you know, that's just, right. that, that takes all the suspense of what well, should be the most suspenseful. Well, she rank. hasn't passed the test of time yet. We, we got to see. All right. So <laughs> in the 10th spot, um, Samantha Carter. Okay. Uh, Stargate SG-1. Um, lieutenant, captain, major, lieutenant colonel. I mean, she uh, keeps advancing up the ranks in SG-1 and uh, played by Amanda Tapping, okay, who was in the X-Files episode. Uh, yes. and, and for her, while hand-to-hand combat is not her strength, uh, you know, she's pretty handy with the FNP-90, uh, weapon of choice of most of the, uh, the SG teams that go off-world. Uh, you know, pretty much she can fly a Gaul mothership. So, I mean, come on, what, what else do we need to know? Uh, and she can pretty much split the atom if she needs to. So, uh, you know, she's one of those people that, you know, I mean, in, in terms of, uh, you know, um, uh, the brains and the brawn, I mean, she doesn't necessarily have the brawn, but she's so smart, she knows how to get around that. Um, and, uh, you know, I mean, she's been fighting aliens and, uh, time traveled and, uh, you know, she's definitely earned her spot in the top 10. All right. So what about number nine? Number nine is Cameron from Terminator, the Sarah Chronicles, <laughs> the Sarah Connor Chronicles. That's a tongue twister that I never realized. I don't know if I ever tried to say that altogether. Um, again, another show Fox cut off in its prime. Fantastic, fantastic sci-fi show. And probably one of the best things about it was seeing Cameron, who is a Terminator, sent back to protect a now teenage John Connor. And it's Summer Glau, who has incredible sci-fi 
creds. And one of the reasons I actually, because I'm, you know, the way it shook out to our listening audience is that Dave and I really agreed on like pretty much eight of the 10. So we really had only two slots for, to insert whoever we wanted to. And so I'm looking at my one slot and I'm thinking, well, I need someone from Terminator. And Sarah Connor would obviously be the easy choice. And I, obviously I like the Sarah Connor character. Um, she's a fantastic character. But I think Cameron's character is really, you want to talk about a character that changes and grows throughout the course of that series. Uh, really, she does. Learning, really pretty much basically learning how to be human. Um, she looks human, obviously, as all Terminators do. But they, one thing you see from the Terminator series is that they don't really know how to be human. Um, and uh, even from... T2, I think, was really the first one. Yeah, that was the first one. Arnold Schwarzenegger came back, and John Connor is trying to teach him how to actually behave like a human and, and get on as a human being. So we see Cameron really struggling with this throughout. And Plus, she just, obviously, she's a Terminator, so she destroys physically. She crushes. Uh, she's intelligent because, again, she's a Terminator, and she's a computer, and she can pretty much do anything. Um, she's very attractive, but yet accessible. I think that's probably one of Summer Glau's she pulls that off better, than I think, than almost anyone. Um, and, you know, guns, uh, Shah, yeah. <laughs> tons of them. So, uh, yeah. Now, this so is this is one that I'm going to have to put on my uh, queue because I, I have not seen uh, any of the Sarah Connor Chronicles. There, I was able to say it. There you go. See, but you had to walk through it. It is a tough it title is. to say. All right. So, All at right. the number eight spot, uh, we've got Gwen Cooper from Torchwood. Uh, played by Eve Miles, and and one of the things I like about her, Wayne, is that uh, you know she's she just kind of works her way in. Uh, you know, you see her at the beginning, how she's a, a police officer at the beginning of the series, and is you know watches. You know, she doesn't know it's Torchwood. Well, no, I'm sorry, she does uh, know it's Torchwood, uh, and she sees you know them doing the weird things that they do, and, and rather than being frightened off, it it she's drawn to it. Um, and, and yet in the course of the series, um, you know, leaves her husband, leaves her child, you know, to save the world, you know, literally. Yeah. And it, it takes a toll on her, you know, she, I mean, that's the great thing is the, this character develops is how she finds herself morally, her whole world just kind of crashing in, you know, Torchwood destroys everything in your life. It sucks in, you can't have a life outside of Torchwood. And here she's trying to have a family uh, to, with a relationship and then married and then a child and everything and still dealing with the, especially in uh, seasons four and five, right? This yeah. Last one was season five or three, three and, four. and four. Three and four. Seasons three and four where we really see this, you know, moral kind of deadness that just you know encompasses the whole series and she's caught in the middle of this and yet you know she's trying to still juggle all these things in a world that is corrupt and dangerous and scary and just everything and and eve miles is fantastic and she faces she's got it, the best and she faces it all unflinchingly um and, right? and you know the weapons and and you know the black and you know she's got all that so she's got it. and i was actually looking at this list i realized only two of our 10 women here are not uh, have have blonde hair or light colored oh, yeah. hair. They, all the rest have black hair. So I really think there is something to the color black okay. as well. We might have to add it as a corollary to the rule or something like that. All right, uh, at the number seven spot, Zoe Washburn from Firefly. 
This, if, if we had done this two weeks ago, I probably wouldn't have included Zoe because I, I forgot about her, but I went and rewatched Firefly last week, and I'm like, how can we not have Zoe on this well, here, She's awesome. I, she fits all the categories to a T, and she's really super cool as well. I wrote four words. What can't she do? What can't she do? Zoe can do everything. Um, and then, of course. Except for control wash. Well, control her husband, she cannot good do. Good point. Uh, now, of course, uh, you know, as I'm flipping around, you know, waiting for us, uh, you know, we're recording, uh, what's today, July 5th? Uh, yes. So, you know, I was uh, waiting to, uh, you know, get together with Wayne to record. I'm flipping around on the TV, and, and uh, I believe the show might be called Suits. It's on uh, FX or whatever. And who's one of the, you know, the Suits? Gina Torres. Nice. So She's awesome. It's such a great character. I mean, yeah. just such... A, a spectacular show and I said it last week I'll say it again I mean it just is incomprehensible what Fox did with this show it is just I just I, I don't understand they had one of the best shows ever right there in their lap and they they, they crushed it they destroyed it you know and it's only because of its awesomeness that that it's still so popular and that actually I mean how many shows get cancelled even before their first season is halfway done, and then get a, a major motion picture made out of it. How, how does that happen? Well, you know, what's just... even more reprehensible is that they did it again with Dollhouse. Right. So, right. Um, and so if you, Firefly, for any of you that have not seen it, it's only, only 13 episodes plus then the... 14. Four, oh, four, right, 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 well, right 14, then the movie. 14 episodes and then the movie. Uh, and I have a much deeper appreciation for the movie now. Yeah. At first, I mean, I've seen the movie like two or three times before. I never really thought, but then I watched it this time, and I'm like, you know what? I actually, I, I like, I, I'm starting to come to terms with the movie. Okay. I like the movie. Now, especially, again, well, and that's like really another reason why I picked Cameron, because Summer Glau, after watching Serenity, I realized that Summer Glau really needs to be in that list somewhere, because, you know, she's in Firefly, uh, she's in Terminator, she's in Dollhouse, you know, even though she's not really a, you know, she's not an ass kicker, kicking. right? She's not at all, but she's still, you know, like she just, as far as science fiction goes, man, she is really, you know, she's like the Wade Boggs, you know, she's not like a Babe Ruth, but she's like the Wade Boggs. I don't know if that's now, a good. Now with Gina Torres, the interesting thing is, uh, I don't, you, I don't think you were an Alias fan, right? Well, I just I haven't seen. Okay, it. so if I ever see, it, I might be um, a fan. You know, she could have made this list, or certainly been considered for this list for a character she played there. She was uh, actually there are two characters that didn't make our ten. Uh, you know, one is uh, Sydney Bristow, the uh, CIA agent played by Jennifer Garner, but her adversary was uh, Anna Espinosa played by Gina Torres, and uh, you know her character there. She could have easily made the list, but at number six. And, you know, Wayne, I think we're going to get some people out there that are going to be doing the, uh, the WTF at this choice. But, uh, and that is Kate Austin from Lost, played by Evangeline Lilly. Now, I know some of you are going to say, oh, wait a minute. Have you seen her, uh, I don't know, is it L'Oreal or whatever the commercials for the hair products that she does? Uh, uh, we, we, we examine these shows in isolation. Accessible? It's like, no, no, right. We're watching it. But look. I think if you watch, if you were a Lost fan, you you saw what she was capable of. You know, the intelligence part, uh, you know, she, again, she was probably more the the Kenzie type, the street smart that uh, 
Uh, you, you know, nobody was going to get anything by her and that she was always thinking, you know, one or two steps ahead of everyone else. Um, you know, certainly she could handle a weapon. Uh, we saw that early on when uh, she gets the gun from Sawyer. Um, so Kate Austin at number six. All right. So we're left with five for the top and spots. And then there were five. Okay. So we got, we got five. So I guess to just throw it out there, like Dave, if you were going to take out of these five characters, who would you put at number five? At number five, I would probably put Helen Magnus from Sanctuary. Okay, I would. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking. Well, all right, let's talk like four or five then, because I'm like thinking Magnus and Kara uh, Thrace at the four or five spot. Okay, and um, is that are you um, amenable to I'm that? I'm good, good with that. Now, I would say. Okay, so we. Uh, you know, look, I mean, obviously Helen Magnus, uh, and, and this would be Amanda Tapping's got two characters on our top 10, which, uh, is pretty cool. Um, she's pretty, cool. yes. Uh, she must be. So if she plays these characters, you figure and see that's where accessible, just for me to say that, that shows you she's got the accessibility in spades. I mean, she's, she's a beautiful woman, but obviously, you know, like you say, like a, a, a goof like me says, well, I think she's cool. Well, you know. Well, she, well, she looks she good for 167. Right. <laughs> she looks great for 167. Or whatever. Yeah. Whatever the numbers. If you watch the yeah. show, you know what we're talking about. Um, right. But, you know, look, I mean, in terms of the intelligence factor, again, she's got that, you know, uh, she's got that plenty. Um, she, you know, the weapons, she's fighting aliens from all sorts of dimensions and, uh, you know, and, and uh, you know, all the while, um, she does it wearing black most of the time. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of black. Now, the, except for when they show her back in the, the uh, 19th century where she's wearing frilly dresses. Oh, good point. <laughs> which is why she's at number five. Probably if she loses the frilly dresses, she might have been higher up on the list. But hey, what are you going to do? Honey? All right. Now, uh, so let's talk about Kara Thrace. All right. Kara Thrace, Starbuck from Battlestar Galactica. And, uh, you know, for, again, I think the thing that, that I have her at four rather than five is that, uh, you know, I think she's facing a little more uh, than what Helen Magnus has to face. Well, she's facing the existence of humanity. Right. And, and uh, you know, in general, in generally every battle, and, and if you don't know the character, Kara Thrace is, uh, uh, she is the best fighter pilot that uh, they have left. And uh, typically, most battles that they go into are against insurmountable or seemingly insurmountable odds. Uh, she's faith facing certain death virtually every time she gets in her uh, Raptor, and yet she keeps doing it. And uh, um, you know, she's got she's that flawed character as well. You know, she drinks, she smokes, she's you know, she's literally one of the boys. Okay. She sleeps around too. Yes, she does. Um, but uh, y you know, it, it it's just she's got too many other positive qualities. Again, she's one of those that's got her flaws. But when you know, at the end of the day, whatever the right thing to do is what she's going to do. Yeah. So, all right. So we're left yeah, with three. We're left with three. Yep. Okay. I would. I would. Mm, I, I would say I, I would put. Echo at number three. Okay. Now I was going to go with Olivia Dunham at three. Really? Okay. And the and the only reason, well, I, she doesn't have dark hair. Okay. Is that well, it? no. That's actually, it. you know, I, 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 let's go with Echo at number three. And and I guess if you don't know Echo, uh, 
that is Eliza Dushku's character in Dollhouse. And uh, again, if you haven't seen Dollhouse, please do yourself a favor. Um, it's but, fantastic. Don't, don't, stick with it. But yeah, like we said, you know, stick with it. Uh, and if you're watching season one, you're like, ah, this is all right. But man, just by the end of season one and season two is just wow. Right. Now, for those of you that watch the show and you're thinking like, because if I say this, what can't she do? You'll say, well, of, of course she can do it. They imprint her. Why right. wouldn't she be able to do it? Um, but I think, you know, what, what kind of I see is that, you know, it, even in season one, she starts becoming self-aware. And, you know, you know, once we're into season two and it really is Caroline, um, you know, that, that she certainly, you know, has all of those, the intelligence, the, the courage, the leadership, uh, the weaponry uh, to, uh, you know, solidify her place on this list. Yeah. And it's, and it's that fact that she becomes a here we have. Um, she's a little wisp of a girl, right? Yep. I mean, she's, she's tiny, she's skinny. Um, she's obviously very pretty. And so you say, well, she's just a girly girl. And, you know, you, you, you're always, you always feel like she's in danger, but very early in season one, I'll say, well, here's a girl who can really handle herself. And then they basically take her mind away all the time and put in someone new each time. So you're like, well, you know, she's completely at the mercy of someone else. And when she begins to fight against that and realize her role as really a savior, um, she really steps up as, as a hero and becomes a fantastic uh, science fiction right. heroine. Again, so. again, a savior of the human race or yeah. humanity as we know it. At, at that, uh... All right. So at number two. I guess uh, we, by what we just said a few minutes ago, that we've got Olivia Dunham in the number two spot uh, from Fringe, Fringe Anator, the actress, and uh, you know a lot of gunplay, not so much hand-to-hand uh, -hand combat stuff. But uh, I guess what I like about her is that how she's always willing, uh, you know, to submit to Walter's wildest ideas. And, and I mean, certainly she's smart, you know, she's attractive, but not, you know, she's uh, accessible. Though. Got the uh, not too attractive. Actually, there's even one episode where they make a point about how, you know, her, everything in her closet is like black or gray, black or dark right. gray. Um, but but I think, again, her her fearlessness, her, her willingness to do what she needs to do, uh, you know, to save not necessarily. I mean, yes, you know, their world. Uh, if you, and if you again, if you watch the show. There are actually two universes that need saving, and she's willing to try to save both. Right. And, you know, and really, she just gets crapped on big time by, like, fate or whatever, like, time and time and time again. You know, she just gets slapped around, and she doesn't really have moments where she feels sorry for herself or anything. I think, I'm trying to think, there might be some point in there where she started to say, why, why, why? But for the most part, man, she's just tough. She's tough as nails and she just keeps going and keeps fighting and, you know, plows through. And, and that's, you know, her most endearing characteristic. Uh, besides, as you said, she's also ferociously loyal to her friends as well and, and does whatever needs to be done to take care of them. So, great, uh, great heroine. Very much a uh, yeah. All right, now I don't deserves her number two ranking. Okay. For now sure. I don't think we talked about it, but uh, I think for both of us, the number one choice was almost a foregone conclusion, and we both came to this show late. 
Uh, Wayne just finished uh, about a week ago, and uh, yeah. and I finished probably. No, I'm not finished yet because. Oh yeah, right, right. So you many... still haven't seen the the Peacekeeper Wars, but yeah. uh, and that would be Aaron Sun Sun from Farscape, mm. played by Claudia Black. So yeah. what do we like about her? See, what what don't we like about her? Well, I can tell you what I don't like about her. I don't I don't like how it took it takes a while to get used to her, right? Because at first we really don't like Aaron because she's a peacekeeper. She's the enemy. She's uh, unwillingly becomes part of this group here that is running from the law. And she gets lumped in with them, kind of guilt by association, really. Um, but as it goes, she becomes a more integral part, and we realize that and it's the relationship between her and John uh, becomes deeper and more important to the show. You know, she really steps into her own and, you know, can be, you know, honestly, at times is also a pretty good victim as well because she gets pregnant, right? right. And so pregnantly, what is, who's a, a more endangered person on earth than a pregnant well, woman? And her, and her mother tries to kill her. Right. She's got mommy issues right. for sure. But, and, uh, you know, we kind of like that in girls too. Well, you know, and, and like you said, I mean, you know, she, in, in the pilot, you know, we find out that she's, you know, that they all are running from, you know, the peacekeepers and she's a peacekeeper. And like you said, she gets lumped in with them and it, it's she's quickly put into the situation where she's got really no viable choice to make because uh, the peacekeepers think she's a traitor and, you know, so she's got nowhere, she's else, got to nowhere go. else to go and, and have to stick with this. Bunch of goofballs, right. and she's got all the requisite skills. And uh, I think of all our characters, uh, you know, her uh, wardrobe consultant does the uh, the finest job. She, yeah, she's she's the um, the ultimate example of, of if you go by our definition of a sci fi hero, she knocks out pretty much every every one of those categories. She scores a ten out of ten on each of them. More so than, than anyone else, she's uh, she, she's you know again attractive, but accessible. Um, she's not super crazy attractive, but she is very attractive. Um, she's you know obviously the black. She wears all the time. Uh, she can handle herself. She's always got she's got the the gun strapped to her leg the whole time. It's an awesome you know. gun, by the way. It is a, a awesome gun for sure. <laughs> And, uh, and, and but she's also very intelligent, uh, very compassionate, I would say, and even though and self-aware, you know, I mean, her search for self is one of the main forces of the, the show, her trying to figure out not just who she is, but who she wants to be. Because right. really it gets to a point where, as you said, she doesn't have a choice at first, but becomes a point where she can choose to be what she wants to yep. be. And she... Uh, chooses you know ultimately she chooses john she chooses earth and i like uh, her trying to learn english is was just yeah. great a lot of great comic relief on farscape more than any i'm trying to think of any other sci-fi show but firefly obviously yeah. was was really good with comic relief but farscape was just fantastic well stargate and i know you haven't seen that yet uh yeah. there's there's a lot of similar uh, approaches so all right well there it is. There's a, the first top ten list. And uh, the first of many top ten lists. So, uh, all right, well, I think that's about going to do it, Wayne. Yeah. 
think so. And, uh, you know, if you want to get in touch with us, the email is fatalistspodcast at gmail.com, and we'd love to hear from you. Uh, If you've got something to say, we can read it on the air. We would love to do that. And until next time, I'm Dave, and had a great time. I'm Wayne. Live long and prosper. All right.